0: And welcome to the ninth anniversary of Bite Marsh Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum.
1: And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, we're going to talk to Phil Tripp, Senior Business, Business Development Manager for South by Southwest, about rounding up Hawaii talent. And then we'll talk to Representative Matt Lopresti and
0: Vern Miyagi about... Disaster preparedness in the nuclear reality of North Korea.
1: So first off, let's welcome by phone all the way from Australia, Phil Tripp, again, Senior Business Development Manager for South by Southwest. Welcome to the show, Phil.
2: G'day, mate, or should I say, aloha. Aloha. So
1: Phil, tell us tell us a
0: little bit about... Uh, Uh, You know, we've uh, been familiar with South by Southwest. We go to it. We enjoy all the interactive stuff. And, of course, there's a pretty nice contingent from Hawaii on the uh, the music uh, segment of South by. How do you get involved with uh, rounding up that talent?
2: Well, actually, I don't do much in terms of getting the talent. They apply to showcase. Mm -hmm. They make a decision whether they want to play or not, and they let us know and then we listen to their music and see if they'll fit in. Unfortunately, Hawaii is not really about hula and hapahawe and traditional music to us. We see the more contemporary artists that apply. So that's kind of real cool. This year, I've taken special efforts to invite four artists. Actually, Hopper is one of them. I've huh. been uh, a fan of theirs for years. Willie Kay is another. Kapono is another, and Makana is another. Mm -hmm. I think they would be the four best acts to lead the sort of Hawaiian invasion of Austin this year. But really, it's about your interactive and multimedia talent, marketing, brands, folk, and that that come for the conference because there's a festival, but there's also the conference where we've got 5,000 speakers in 2,000 sessions. And I know you like that, Ryan.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, although you have clearly a good uh, entry with the musical talents top t- uh, top level talent on the music front uh, I would agree that you know the representation of the Hawaii tech scene startup scene app developers interactive developers uh kind of waxes and wanes over the years and I've, I wasn't sure really how well Hawaii was represented on that side in recent years is there a particular reason for the focus this year is there a spe- special opportunity or energy that you're sensing Phil
2: well, the thing is, the Department of Business and Economic Development and Tourism, mm-hmm. they are really behind taking Hawaii to the next level internationally in presenting a lot of your geek talent, let's say, for the sure. use of a polite word. And they know, they've watched Australia, which is the other one of my territories, as well as New Zealand. Our government's really support it our music talent in the beginning, back in 2002. And we developed a great brand for that music. BBDT um, wanted to do that with Hawaiian music, but of course, being a small government, they have small budgets, and it's hard for them to get things through. But this year, it looks like it just might happen for 2018. And uh, I'm having talks with them while I'm over there. I've been dealing with them for Oh, almost 10 years. I've actually been to Hawaii about 50 times, hmm. mostly for pleasure. <laughs> so, Phil,
0: uh, you know, going back to the sort of the, the interactive and the geek side of things, I mean, are there any ways that we could perhaps uh, bring some of those companies to the forefront uh, at, at you know, such a prestigious conference like South by Southwest?
2: You know, the, the first way is actually to use what we call Panel Picker, which is now closed. But we have had some Hawaiian companies propose panels or keynote speeches Mm -hmm. of that that they could do. Now, last year, funny enough, uh, Kona Brewing did a magnificent presentation about how they managed to take their product, which was Hawaiian-only for the longest time, and launch it in America through innovative advertising, social media, and other things. And people were absolutely wowed by that. Oh, and uh, there, are, there are a lot of examples in even the educational sector in Hawaii that are far superior to what's on the mainland. It's just a matter of getting out there. And with South By, what we do is we rely on people to propose their participation. And then that panel picker is actually judged by a larger uh, audience that look at the ideas and vote on them and say, oh, I like that. And if they win, they get a free ticket to South by and they get to, uh, you know, have their own panels and topics, mm-hmm. which, are, which are done that way.
1: Now, separate yeah, separate from being part of the program, though, there's also just the opportunity to form a delegation. And I know that in the years that I went to South by Southwest, I was working with a startup that started here in Hawaii, and we weren't officially part of the program, but we certainly used that opportunity to network and meet with other people and spread the word about our app. Uh, so I imagine that's a part of your, your strategy as well.
2: Yeah, and you know what? You guys have more groups now and more... Um, uh, how would I say, crowdsourced interest and more social media networking within your own communities, that's a lot easier to latch on to now. And I really love that. That's a sign of maturity. And you've got some great startups, too. And you've got incubators. And you've got the government behind you. So and that's really what counts.
0: So, Phil, what would you advise? Would you advise us to try to do something for 2018 or or really, kind of regroup and plan for 2019, you know, by going in and doing the panel picker and you know, trying to trying to organize some kind of a, a stronger presence on the part of uh, Hawaii's tech scene.
2: Well, I tell you what. Personally, I believe that making uh, any kind of proposal to DBEDT and a the woman there by the name of Georgia Skinner, who yes. is a fabulous evangelist for Hawaiian everything would be good to let her know of the interest, and I think in terms of a delegation this year, it's highly likely that something like that could happen, with even just a moderate push from the government. So you can either be a part of a stand that your own group creates, or you can do that as a beginning and really strategize toward 2019. Uh, You know, we're still five months away from the event, there's plenty of time to plan. And uh, you never know what might happen. Uh, In 2009, uh, the the government got together and got behind a group of Hawaiian artists. I won't name-check them all, but it was a great presence for that. And really, what's the difference between a band and a startup? They're the same thing.
1: Well, certainly uh, representative of our creative talent. So before we let you go, Phil, I understand that you are putting together local events to... Share with people and give them the opportunity to learn more about South by Southwest as an opportunity for Hoy's creative community. Uh, when's the next one coming up?
2: Well, you know, I really love being able to talk story with folks there. And at Box Jelly on Monday, August 7, is where I kick off a series of five meetings that talk about South by answers questions that they have. And we go from there to Maui and from Maui that week. Uh, we go on to Hilo and Kona uh-huh. and the Hui, and then back to Honolulu. I may end up doing one more day at the end of the month in Honolulu, but Fox Jelly, August 7, 5.30, it's on. Okay. Fantastic,
1: and we'll put that information on our show notes at org, including the rest of your schedule. Well,
0: thanks very much, cool. uh, Phil. Thanks for uh, calling, and uh, you have a great uh, time in Australia, and we'll look forward to you next week uh, over at Box Jelly. <laughs>
2: Uh, I'll be buying the first beer, mate. All right. We're shouting the first round. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. Well, of course, we'll take a short break now, and we will return and be joined by Representative Matt Lopresti and Vern Miyagi to talk about the threat from North Korea and, of course, steps to prepare. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
1: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma
3: Preschool.
0: Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us are Representative Matt Lopresti and, of course, Vern Miyagi. Matt is in the House of Representatives uh, in the EVA District. and represents Eva District, and he also is the Vice Chair of the Committee on Public Safety, which oversees programs relating to civilian emergency and disaster response.
1: Vern, meanwhile, is appointed by Governor David Ige as Administrator for the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency, formerly known as Hawaii Civil Defense. And, of course, how real is this threat, and what can we do to prepare? Welcome to Bike Mars
0: Cafe, both of you. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Now, Matt, we will start with you, and of course, I wanna I wanna preface this by saying that the probability is very small. I mean, and, and as a target, we probably are very difficult to to actually hit. But what is it on your part in terms of the legislation that that sort of prompted your interest in, in trying to be more prepared for the you know this this unthinkable event?
3: Yeah, it is unthinkable. Uh, but the burden of government is to be prepared, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so as vice chair of the Public Safety Committee, you're right. One of our, our areas of responsibility is disaster preparedness. And initially, um, my office had looked at changing a resolution to talk about uh, disaster preparation in case of a tsunami, a hurricane, where it takes out a port and we need a second backup port facility. And we had begun uh, working towards that. And on the day we were going to introduce that, Language, uh, The front page of Star Advertiser had a story about North Korea being ICBM-capable with potential nuclear warhead capabilities. Mm -hmm. And that was quite an eye-opener. And we realized, well, we might as well put in some of the language regarding that kind of disaster prep into the the resolution that we had um, been working with. Mm -hmm. And so it it just made sense because a lot of the disaster prep that goes in for any kind of natural disaster is the same disaster prep that goes in for a man-made disaster Mm -hmm. uh, with some – of course, important caveats and differences. Mm -hmm. Now, Vern, um, obviously your agency is always looking
1: to prepare for any eventuality or possible threat that the state might face, and it was only in recent weeks where we were making headlines because of the preparation of a plan in the event of a North Korea strike. Um, and then right after all of the national news was making hay of our preparations was when the second test said, okay, well, now they even have even greater range and perhaps more of the United States mainland is involved. But from what I understand, your work on this possible scenario started far earlier than just the last month of headlines.
4: Yeah, I think uh, you know our job at Hawaii Emergency Management Agency is to get ahead of it, anticipate issues or hazards, get ahead of it. Now, way back in 2009, when he was, uh, when I say he, Kim Il, uh, Kim Il, Jung, no, Kim Jong Il, his father, <laughs> yes, uh, started to launch uh, mis- test missiles over our way. we were coordinating with Pacific Command as far as shelter in place because of the threat of missile debris. As this thing moved on and on, uh, it got to the point where, hey, he's testing missiles now, ballistic missiles. He's testing uh, nuclear weapons and so on. So we had to get ahead of this. And that's when we started the planning. And the planning, uh, as all of you know, when the Cold War ended in 1980s or so, a lot of this stuff was put on the shelf. But if you look at the preparation actions for a lot of these, they still are valid because of the nuclear threat. So uh, what Representative Lopressi mentioned that article in the newspaper, yeah, that was me. I think I was quoted by uh, William (laughs) Cole on that. That's right. But the the thought was we're going to put these plans up again and update them. So, And that's where this thing started. But we have to get ahead of it. That's the whole point. So can you
1: give me a little bit of further history? Because my memory of fallout shelters and nuclear threats was running around the University of Hawaii campus in the 80s and trying to potentially succeeding in getting into some of the fallout shelters under the buildings up there, or even running around Mililani, what is now Milani Mauka, and finding the bunkers and the tunnels. Um, so clearly those were all built with the similar uh, threat in mind. Um, how much has things, have things changed in terms of the actual, say, I guess, physical impact of a, a danger that we're trying to prepare for?
4: Well, first of all, let's back up. It's not a similar threat. Mm. We're talking about a rogue nation. We're talking about kiloton-sized weapons. In the 1980s with the Cold War, we're talking megaton weapons and multiple warheads and targeting capability, which was superb. That's not the case here. Mm. So that's why... Right now, because of the missile launch to impact time, is only about 20 minutes. Uh, we're in contact with Pacific Command as far as characterisa- characterization of the missile track for five minutes for that. We have about 15 minutes or so to get covered. And the point right now is that with that short time, you don't have time to go find shelters. We have to provide the public with information on what a proper shelter is. And then that's what we're working on right now.
3: And if I can add to that, because sure. there's a lot of misinformation, and uh, because of that misinformation, some complacency in some people's minds with regard to this as a, as a threat, even if it is unlikely, uh, because the, a lot of people my generation and older lived through the Cold War, and we lived with the existential threat of thermonuclear annihilation, but that's not <coughs> what we're talking about, as, as the general said. And so what we're talking about with a kiloton-sized weaponry If they could hit their target, if they could survive reentry, and um, it's something like a one- to two-mile blast radius. So imagine, worst-case scenario, they hit what they're aiming at, say, at Pearl. Well, 95% of the population survives, Mm
4: -hmm.
3: but we have to deal with fallout. My district is in that fallout area, Mm -hmm. right, the EVA Plain, because the prevailing winds. And the plans that we have from the 80s, the community shelter plans, Mm. when that was made, that was all sugarcane right now we have a hundred actually more than a hundred thousand people who live out there with very few buildings that satisfy the kind of fallout shelter uh, expectations and one of I think my jobs and our jobs in the legislature is to make sure that uh, the public safety people have the resources they need to prepare us even in these kinds of situations that are
0: well and and that's an exact um an excellent point because what you're trying to do is Really think about what the parameters are for this potential new scenario that, that is, you know, perhaps more smaller bombs, kiloton bombs. But they would have some impact, but it's not going to be we're all, we're all going to die. Right. right. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a just, mass casualty so, event. So. It's very serious,
3: but it's not the end of the world. Right, right. And, and uh, you know, if, if you take that attitude, then you won't be ready. Uh, if the worst case scenario happens mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and you won't pay attention to what the warning things are and what things you can do to save you and your family, because most people will survive if you know what to do. Now, mm-hmm. A friend of the show, Wayne, uh, wrote in and
1: uh, hearing the promos for this program and said, so really, are we just going back to cartoonish duck and cover drills in schools? And I like uh, uh, what the general said about, you know, that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different kind of threat that we're talking about. So you mentioned helping people find what a suitable shelter would be. What are some of those characteristics?
4: Right now, is, uh, this will be published in our, our brochures and information bulletins, but we're looking for a, a substantial shelter. Okay? We're looking at something like concrete, uh, if it's a multi-story building, the basement. Uh, again, if you're in your home, you still should, the best you can do is center of your house, stay away from the glass and windows, and so on and so on. So we'll come up with uh, with uh, places you are and what is the best type of shelter. That, mm-hmm. That's what we can provide.
0: Now, in the in the scenario that we're we're describing and in terms of the parameters that we're working with, it's smaller, but we have less time, right? This is not like a tsunami where we have you know days to sort of watch the wave come over. It, well, provided it, it doesn't come from the Big Island. That's yes. right. That's true. Sure. Well, okay. So if but if the missile is launched from Australia, I mean, <laughs> from <laughs> from North Korea, uh, we're talking twenty minutes, right? So, and it's it's probably less than that by the time the public is is really equipped to do anything. So, in the fifteen minute period of time, what is it that they can most effectively do to protect themselves?
4: Well, for us, it's uh, the, the, what the guidance will show is what are, like I said, substantial shelters, and. What a person can do, if you're at work, if you're downtown, you can go down to the basement. Uh, If you're in your home, like I said, go to the center of your home. Uh, But the idea is that you will not have time to go pick up your wife and your kids, uh, find a shelter, and hunker down. Uh, Your wife will have to have a plan already, depending on where she is. Your children in school Uh, DOE already has plans right now for uh, lockdowns and so on, so they already have some plans that we can put our arms around and embrace them. But again, it's a matter of where you are during the day, what time of the day, and what is your plan. We say shelter in place, but the point is, what is that shelter? Mm -hmm. You have Mm -hmm. to know what that shelter is. Mm
0: -hmm. Right, and I think your point, too, is that what do your family,
1: in terms of where their place is, what what do they do in that 15 minutes? Right. Well, we want to hold that thought. We want to continue this conversation, but we have to take a short break to uh, recognize some of our supporters. We want to continue our conversation with Representative Matt Lopresti and Vern Miyagi about disaster preparedness in the new reality of North Korea. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Akahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, Hawaii Pacific University, and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And if you're just joining us, we're talking to Representative Matt Lopresti and Vern Miyagi about preparing for the unthinkable. I wanted to go back to uh, Matt and talk about the fallout aspect. Now, I liked how you clarified there's two Issues. It's the initial target and where that lands, and certainly predicting that is very unlikely. But then there's the longer term threat of nuclear fallout. So Mm -hmm. given your representation of the EVA community that would likely be in that range today, for example, if Pearl Harbor was the target, what are some of the things in terms of preparing for that that a community
3: needs to do? Well, not just speaking for my district, but uh, for everybody, I also wanted to clear something else up. You know, there's a difference between a fallout shelter and a, a bomb shelter. There are no civilian bomb shelters. Mm. And and there's been some discussion about tunnels and, and whatnot. But as the general had said, there's no time. You're not going to have time to run over to Diamond Head. You're not going to have time to run up to Mililani Mauka or any of that stuff. Mm. Um, and, and more than likely, even if they hit what they're aiming at, you're not the target. Um, so The the whole point about getting uh, shelter education out there is so that people know what kind of structure will help protect them best from radiation. That's what a fallout shelter is. Mm -hmm. That's why UH Manoa had all those buildings with the basements with fallout shelters. The paroling authority was a fallout shelter. It's just a basement. It's a basement of a large concrete building, 15 to 16 inch thick, that will keep most of the radiation out, in which you can survive for a couple of weeks. Uh, the whole thing with the with the fallout shelters in the Cold War, that whole program of funding for medical kits, sanitation kits, food kits, that was all funded by the federal government. Those funds aren't there anymore, right? And so, I don't even know that I have any expectation that we're going to get to that point. I I, I don't even like to think about having to get to that point. But what I have a responsibility to think about is making sure that General Miyagi and others in Hawaii Emergency Management Agency have the resources they need to help educate the people about what they can do. And um, I, I don't know how else, more concisely to put it.
0: So so <clears throat> Vern, in terms of the uh, messaging that you want to get out to the public, I mean, how does their preparation differ, let's say, from a natural disaster. I mean, our are, what are what are some of the things that would be basically carryovers from how would you want to prepare for a hurricane or tsunami or anything else?
4: Well, thanks for that. that's a very good question, Bert. You know, our mission at the uh, State DOD and Haima ha- is to protect the people of Hawaii from all hazards, and this includes our visitors also that that come to Hawaii. And then our definition of preparedness is it's an it's an informed public, uh, residents and visitors, that know what to do, what to expect for all hazards and ahead of time. That's our main purpose, and that's what this information campaign is for. And then we, f- this will re- come up with a resilient community, and that's what we need to survive. Mm-hmm. Now, the preparation for hurricanes, you know, we just got through. We just, I say GHI, that's uh, Greg, uh, Hillary, and Irwin, where the last three storms hit it our way. Now they're gone, so we're still tracking But again, the 14-day kit that we put out about a month ago, you know, by coincidence, I found out as we did the research for nuclear stuff, the 14-day kit, it takes about two weeks for radiation, uh, fallout radiation to dissipate to the Hmm. point where people can come out. Now, I didn't plan it that way, but it just seemed to coincide. The 14 days was based on our port analysis about how long it would take the port to uh, recover from a major strike from a hurricane or tsunami. But again, what we put out for the preparation for... (coughs) 14 days about uh, having a family plan so your family knows where to go, what you're going to do before the tsunami or before the hurricane hits, the fact that you don't go to Costco or any of the big stores (laughs) Mm -hmm, and go to empty shelves and try to get your 14-day kit. You should do that ahead of time. All of this is pre-planning, and you need to have that family plan. Again, like I said, where you're going to be, what time of day, and where you're going to go, and that way we can have we can be resilient and survive these disasters or emergencies. Now,
1: Matt, is there an opportunity for a community association, not just EVA, but anywhere, uh, Kailua, I mean, if you do identify the structures in your neighborhood that meet the best uh, criteria for a fallout shelter, and you also have people looking for 14-day supplies, I mean, is there a way to combine those two strategies to at least increase the odds of having those supplies where you're going to shelter in place?
3: That's a a great point, and yes, I think there is, and that's part of where I think we're at right now, and trying to Plan to plan for those sorts of things, and seeing what kind of resources we can or should put towards preparing in those for those kinds of things. So, for example, you know, say say a strike happens, uh, whether it's an air strike or a ground strike. That's going to depend how big the, the blast radius is, and how big and how much fallout there is. You know, after that, after the strike, there there's a very short window. Correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, General. You got time to get to a shelter nearby. Uh, if there is one. And frankly, those are the likely extraction points for civilian rescue. You know, when the cavalry comes in to to, to get people out, they're going to know if we if we have an updated community shelter plan, homeland security, homeland defense, the military and civil defense are going to know where to look for people. Mm-hmm. Right. And not only will there be kits there for them to 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 get by in the first week or two, but that's also where you can count on finding people. Rather than going door to door in a radiation Absolutely. zone, right, mm-hmm. which is just kind of Resource so intensive. daunting to think yeah. about yeah. A- happening. But I want to say something because there has been some concerns about you know, what, what, how does this affect the visitor industry? What about uh, tourism? And I got to say, you know, especially after this last test that North Korea did, that has shown uh, capability of going as far as Chicago, for example. Um, you know, if we're talking about visitors coming from East Asia. Japan, for example, they're safer here than they are there if something happens, because in Japan, they're all within range of all their short and medium range. We're out in the middle of the Pacific, and like the like the, the experts have said, you know, they'd be lucky to come in at 10 miles of what they're aiming at anyways. Mm-hmm. And if you're on the mainland, well, if they shoot over there, they're more likely to at least hit something, whereas if, I, I don't know, I mean, I understand. I, I, my bigger, point is, I don't target. think, I really don't think this is going to scare people away, because their range has increased so much that they can hit so many more likely targets than Hawaii. Uh, We just happen to be ahead of the curve in planning, that's all. And Mm. frankly, there are places in California, Washington, Oregon that's contacted, our people here and asking, what are you doing and how do we replicate that? And there's even one county that's more advanced a further along than we are, Ventura County. Ventura County is good. So now,
0: now uh, Vern, you know, during the uh, natural disaster, th- and we've had you on the radio talking about this uh, because of the VOST and, and various ways mm-hmm. that citizens can help, uh, you stand up something called the JIC, the Joint Information Center. Is that something that you would do again for, let's say, a, a, a nuclear uh, situation?
4: Yes, this would be the same protocols that we would mm-hmm.
0: do. And, 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 you know, when you do a hurricane, it's like when it hit landfall and when it exits, but how would you determine the start and stop? for a
4: JIC? Well, again, if this, the JIC is a joint information center and that's where we combine all of the public relations and the media so that we can get the same word out. Again, this would be a bit difficult in this case because maybe the first warning we'll get will be the the sirens and so on. So like anybody else, the members of the JIC and all of the members of the emergency management crew will have to take cover just like anybody else shelter Mm -hmm. in place. Then once the impact is happening, we have to come out, assess the damage, and form the JIC. Uh, we Damaged creator would be probably the same place again. We would establish it, but the key for the jig is to get the the consistent messaging out, and we focus on uh, AM FM radios and the batteries. Those are probably the best methods of getting information out post uh, impact for this type of disaster. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, very
1: quickly, some uh, quick updates. So, uh, Matt, what uh, bill number or what? Where can people look for updates on your efforts in terms of being prepared?
3: Well, uh, we'll we'll be introducing new legislation and the session coming in January, gotcha. uh, so there's no bill numbers yet, but we'll have bills and resolutions.
1: And Vern, when can people look for this uh, information campaign you're preparing to well, look?
4: It's in progress right now, but i just like to say one last thing is that there is no imminent threat, yeah. no imminent threat of attack. Hawaii is open. I'm not going to move out of town. Uh, <laughs> Hawaii is still the best place to visit for our tourism industry. Very yeah. right.
3: good. Right. And, and, I know you're pressed for time, but it's just think of it this way. When people put a fire uh, detector in their house, smoke detector, it's not because they're staying up all night worried about the fire. It's just you put up those things. That's it.
0: Well, both uh, Matt, uh, Representative Matt Lutesbresti, is the vice chair of the committee on public safety, and of course, Vern Miyagi is the administrator for the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency. We want to thank you both for joining us today.
1: And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Please join us next week when we'll talk about department challenges for the Hawaii Annual Code Challenge.
0: And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And, of course, if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. Marks. You
1: can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich.
0: And stay safe, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.